time, we should just pick scary. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I didn't like the ending. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film It Chapter 2. And I gave my review in my quote, so you know I'm no longer wow. doing so, uh, Well, you, you know what? That's great, Shahir, because we have a guest to fill your shoes because you checked out. Bye. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, uh, please welcome back the wonderful Miss Jamie Walsh. Hey. Oh, no! Would you like a cloud? Would you want a balloon? No. <laughs> I would like a bit of movie. Whoa! Hot take, hot take, hot take. Sorry, no, no, I'll, okay. save, I'll save my hot takes for the review. How are you, Jamie? Oh, I'm really tired. Really tired. We saw this movie at 9.30, and we left the movie at 1 in the morning. <laughs> it is a long, oh long... Oh, my God. <laughs> but there was another reason we wanted to have you on the podcast. I mean, other than the fact that you have uh, fans in Germany, as it turns out. And I think... Is it because I'm from Maine? Ooh, I didn't know that. You That's just a coincidence. I talk about it, like, literally all the time. I'm not she really does. listening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the other reason is you brought uh, a big doorstop with you today that I, I kind of want to talk about that you have been plowing through for the last... How long have you been reading I Stephen this, King's It? I bought this in early July. Jamie, I want you to hold that book three inches above the desk and drop it. In just I want, I want the listeners to be able okay. to hear it. All right. She's thick. Ready? Here we go. That, yeah, that's yeah. it. That is definitely it. It's, yeah. it's almost a cube. It's really... It's big. kind <laughs> of... Rigid. It's comically huge. <laughs> so I'm glad we have a book reader in the uh, in the, uh, in the the podcast, on the podcast with I us know, today. It's it's in, through the podcast. Through it's the podcast. It's important because, listeners, did you know that neither Matt or Shahir can read? That no, is also yeah, true. Very, very true. Uh, yeah. I'm Barely just, literate. Yeah. It's tragic. Point. It's really... Also, the fact that I can't speak is kind of making this even worse. Yeah. <laughs> we got this, though. We got this. This is the second one. We haven't been together. Shahir to talk about it since I think September eighteenth, twenty seventeen. Is that when the last one came out? Yeah. Ooh. Well, that's what that when we our podcast came out. I don't know when the movie came out. Oh, it came out in two thousand. <laughs> At the rate we're going in terms of requests and like fulfilling movies on time, the movie probably came out like three years yeah, before. Yeah, that. it'll be fine. We're uh, fine. I want to give a special shout out to one of our listeners, my favorite listener right now. Uh, that is Baby Dread on Twitter, who has been requesting us every week. Without fail, and I enjoyed his tweets the most uh, to do the Greasy Strangler, which uh, I, 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 I've been trying to get a guest for. Um, so, Baby Dread, if you're listening to this, because every week I have to like re- respond with, no, it won't be this week. I'm sorry. It'll be next week. Or it'll be, it'll be soon. Uh, and I am trying, trying, trying to get a guest who actually worked on the film. Uh, it's been a little bit difficult uh, with scheduling uh, and actually coordinating that. So maybe at some point we'll just do the film because, um, because he's such a good well, I mean that that is that is great. I, I love the request coming in, but Baby Dread. Uh, I mean, well, I guess actually now I'm going to address everyone but Baby Dread. <laughs> Shahir now has a favorite, so you need to all jock for position right now. Step up your game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, other than that, we oh, well, okay. I guess my second favorite at this point. <laughs> All right, they can't have two favorites. My second favorite, my second favorite is in the lower right. down the no, rank. No, you know yeah. what? Fair, retracted, yeah. <laughs> retracted. Uh, would be Jonathan Blade. Apologies, Jonathan Blade. He used to be number one, but it took you a while to get to this iTunes review. So <laughs> I'm really to this, <laughs> listen to this ranking bullshit he's doing. <laughs> That's what we do right on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, but not not the listeners. <laughs> you monster. Uh, Jonathan Blade wrote us in with an iTunes review, and it goes a little something like this: Matt and Adventure here are the gold standard for a two-man podcasting team. Two man plus one in this case. Right. But we have, we have guests sometimes. Yeah. We have guests sometimes. Yeah. 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 As these industry professionals, Oscar and Felix, that, uh, through episode after episode, I keep expecting them to run into an off day or a bad rhythm because it happens. 
Not to them, though. <laughs> the observations are always incisive. The patter is always charming, and the audio quality and editing are always tight. If you go back and listen to their early episodes, all of these qualities hold up, too. Just well done. Aww. Well done. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan the Blade. You know, what? you know what, Jonathan? You jumped up. Oh, now he's so wow! So now Baby Dread has—you are fickle. I'm, you are fickle I, I'm, AF. I'm very fickle, and it's really easy to get up to my number one list. It, yeah, it actually—I mean, <laughs> just congratulations to both of you specifically <laughs> during this trying time you just experienced. But bribe gifts can be sent to Shahir <laughs> Dad. Yeah. Uh, also, dibs on Felix. Just putting that out there. You want to be Felix? Yeah. I can't remember which one. Uh, who is the sort of more pedantic? Uh, I thought that was Felix. Was it Felix? Maybe. I th- no, because I feel like you're. Th- they definitely correlate to you. If, you, if everyone doesn't know, it's a, this is a play on um, The Odd Couple, the Neil Simon um, play, which I think also became a TV show at some point. I remember watching it when I was younger, but I, I never really, really followed it. But I, I looked up a trailer when I saw this review just to kind of check it out. And there was one that definitely felt like me and one that felt like you. I th- I'm just <laughs> going to go with your Oscar and I'm Felix. Okay. Uh, we have an email from uh, listener Stephen. Uh, he says, "Hi guys, great podcast. Matt is so right. I'm all right. That's it. It's done. That's the whole. <laughs> Wait, Matt has oh, a favorite. Matt, your favorite? I don't play game. favorites. I just agree with Steven. Uh, Matt is so right about writers on writers. Oh, I can't wait for this. Uh, working in the news industry, whenever there is a movie uh, depiction of news people, it's always about the reporters who are writers. So the screenwriters gravitate to the reports reporters POV. Uh, ask any cameraman, and they will tell you just about the only time." we have been accurately portrayed in a movie was Chris Elliott in Groundhog Day. (laughs) Uh, It's all downhill from there. Uh, Also, uh, he says, building a wall so we could remake it uh, right would be the only reason for overcharging for parking. Fuck that guy, Shahir. Uh, yes, I agree. Let go back. To, was that last week's? Uh, blind? No, it was a couple of weeks ago. Blinded by the light. We had a. We told a little personal story about uh, yeah. an incident I had at the home of Bruce Springsteen in Asbury Park. Yeah. Uh, so keep up the good work. Uh, yeah. Thanks. No, thank you, Stephen. Yes. No, I I still hold that the that tenant to be true. Good thing we're going to talk about <laughs> it too. <Yeah. laughs> Well, no, I just wanted to say, news uh, news cameraman on... Uh, so I used to work with Stephen in the newsroom, uh, so I totally wholeheartedly agree. Uh, the the only film I would point out, though, that we, we have reviewed on the show, which is completely unrealistic about how news cameramen work, uh, but I think a fun depiction of one is Nightcrawler. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, was it Nightcrawler? Nightcrawler, <laughs> or Peeping Tom, uh, the old... Um, uh, the old British horror film. Uh, no, I will say... I, I'm not sure if that was a... He was a news camera. When you worked... Film. You worked in local news? Uh, national news. Oh, I worked in local uh, back in the day, back in New Hampshire, and I did the night shoots, and I did the, the stuff like that. And while it wasn't like a freelancey thing, like in Nightcrawler, uh, you do have to chase some gruesome shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's definitely that. It's just the... Uh, the uh, the murderous intent and the the causing oh, well, yeah, shit. yeah, a hundred percent. But that is not the film we are here to discuss today. Yeah, but if you'd like to discuss any of the films that we uh, previously just brought up in any of these emails, or uh, just you know what, in general, you can email us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail dot com or uh, tweet at us at onlymoviepod. Also, Shahir, if they wanted to drop a review to try to to get to the number one position in your mind for six point seven seconds, where could they do that? They could do that on i. 
iTunes. I got to warn you, though, there's not a lot of reward for being my favorite. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> not. It's also, it's literally like a melting pile. Like, if it's a King of the Hill game, but it's on like a slidey pile of mud. And I stand on top of it like Xerxes and say, I am a generous god. Uh, and I, we, I, well, maybe. I was going to say it's more like you're the top Taylor Swift in that video, uh, and then all the other Taylor Swifts are clawing up uh, to the top of the Taylor I don't know. I don't know that reference. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> uh, this is going great. Is it? Is it? I mean, it, I, we were talking about It Chapter 2, and now we're talking about Taylor Swift. Okay, so jumping over to It Chapter 2, I want to ask a couple of questions, because uh, if you remember from our review last time around, I was not a fan of It Chapter 1. Um, I'm curious, uh, Jamie, because you decided to read the book, it seems like you might have been. So, okay, I think It and for this is this is, does not make me unique. It sits in a little uh, place in my heart uh, and ha always has. Uh, a, when you're from Maine, you hear a lot about Stephen King all the time, uh, and so you always are kind of familiar with with his with his hits. Um, but also, uh, when I was very small, my dad had this sort of non tradition of whenever my mom would like go out for a late night or travel somewhere, he would go to the movie store. Movie store? Movie, video video store? Video rental? Video rental? Yeah. 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 I don't know where we get movies. Uh, and he would rent a scary film, and he would come back and show it to my brother and I. Uh, this is how I saw Jurassic Park. This is how I saw my first R-rated movie, which was Predator. Uh, and this is how I saw the It miniseries. Ooh. And it was scary. I mean, and it's funny. We just watched sort of a recap video on YouTube about how terrible it is. And yeah. I thought, oh, yeah, that looks bad. But when you're small, it's quite scary. So I've always kind of liked that and I've always had fun with it. And then I remember um, when I was like 10, I tried to read it. Yeah. And I got to the point, there's it's a there, there is a lot of sexuality in the book. And yeah. I got to a point where someone's penis is described as an exclamation point coming out of pubic hair. And I was like, this, <laughs> I'm going to just start Animorphs. I'm just going to go to Animorphs <laughs> and I'll come back. So th this year I came back. Um, so yeah, I saw it, the movie... And didn't know what to expect, really. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified. Wow. And I loved it. Uh, I had a great time. I the the director of these films also did Mama, which yeah. I also really loved. Andy I think Machine, that I yeah. I think I like like that sort of adventure feel that this movie encapsulates. Yeah, I just I just loved it. I loved it. I thought about it all the time. I was super into it. I was really scared of it. I just rewatched it recently because I like built up the courage to. Yeah. Uh, and then I saw last and, night. And you started reading the book. Yeah. Just yes, to, just and to, I started reading the book. So I feel like you've been obsessing about the, book the, is, the, the Losers Club for a uh, little bit. I have to say, I know it's a long haul, but if you haven't read the book and you want to, you should just do it. It's so good. It's so fun. It's very scary. Uh, it's There's an elegance to how Stephen King does the timeline, in my opinion, that mm. is exceptional. Yeah. Really, really a great read. I read the book, God, when I, I must have been... 13 or 14 or something and uh i rem like i don't remember a ton of it it's almost like i left dairy yeah. <laughs> like I I, I I mean i must it felt like to read something that long you had to have lived there for at least nine years and yet here we go um and matt what, what's your recollection of the first film so interestingly enough in my head i was very excited to see this movie i was uh, i was i was very excited to see chapter two right i actually didn't but I didn't like have that recollection of like whether or not I loved or hated the first one, which worried me. So I did what any good film discusser would do. Discusser? 
Uh, well, we kind of don't review. We kind of, you know, whatever. Uh, I went back and listened to our old podcast. Yeah. And, ah. <laughs> you didn't watch the movie. You just listened to what we had exactly. to say. Exactly. He's very arrogant. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is this now? Yeah. You just is this a discovery? Um, and uh, I, I, it's funny because in my brain. I remember really liking it more than I think I liked it when I first saw it. So something happened in the time, in the two years, mm -hmm. where um, my uh, desire for it or my uh, appreciation for it uh, kind of rose. Uh, and it might have been, Jamie, I, maybe because even because you... Because I'm completely obsessed with yeah. it. Yeah. And I love the visuals outside of... I know I had a little bit of a problem in the first one with uh, sort of like, not the overuse of CG, but sort of like the placement of it in the film <laughs> and like the effectiveness of it. Mm -hmm. um, I... I, and I, I am in love with the idea of Pennywise and the It character. Mm -hmm. I think it's fascinating, and I think the first movie. Well, this is kind of the problem. Even you could go the, to the John Wicks at this point, but like when you have something fascinating and a little bit mysterious, mm -hmm. and then you slowly peel away the layers of it, it gets less interesting. Right. Oftentimes, uh, and not to say that this happened entirely in the second chapter, but um, I. Uh, I remember the first film liking it a lot at this point, even though I don't think I did. I remember there were problems. Counterpoint. Yeah. Uh, when you left the theater, you weren't super into it. Of the, was, of the first it. I was there. No, no, I'm 100% <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that. I'm saying over time. Yes, yes. Uh, for whatever reason, I think it's because the imagery and the trailer and the way that they made Pennywise look and sort of like, these are films, especially we're going to get into it, that like make a mean trailer. Right. Like, you can make some scary shit uh, in a three-minute format uh, with all of this footage. So, um, yeah, I, I somehow it has grown on me, much like it has somehow infected these children and now adults. Uh, Shahir, what do you remember uh, <laughs> about the first film at all? I remember you were not a fan. Uh, I was not a fan, but uh, like both of you, the further you get away from Deary, the hazier it becomes. Uh, and I had, uh, I, I wanted to this week kind of revisit it and, and see how I felt about it, um, you know, uh, some two years later. And uh, the issue that I think I had when I watched it the first time was that it felt uh, entirely episodic. You know, like there was simply a kid encountering the monster, then another kid encountering the yep. monster. And then the problem I had uh, also was that a as a single part to a essentially a two-part story, it seemed to miss kind of the essence of the full the full story, which I knew because I'd read the book and I'd you know, watched the miniseries when I was younger. Um, so I went back and revisited it, and I've had a bit of a strange roller coaster ride with the film It this week uh, over the last couple of weeks because uh, I've been listening to uh, the Stephen King podcast, The Losers Podcast, mm. who are obviously fans of this. And like listening to them, I, my enthusiasm for the film rose, my enthusiasm for like the material kind of got, you know, got, got me back into it. And I was like... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I I can see maybe I missed some things here. And you know, the first time I watched um, it, chapter one, I think I went in completely cold. Even though I'd read the book, it had been a long time since sure, I'd read it. Same. Long time since I'd seen the miniseries, so I kind of just went in completely cold. Um, and I actually think now having um, watched it again with more uh, sort of background context, it plays better for me. But I still think it's a kind of a mess of a movie that that ultimately 
is very confusing. And then I had a really fascinating experience. So I watched it once by myself just to kind of refamiliarize myself. Sure. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit warmer to this film now. I think I kind of am more in tune with what it's trying to do. Um, and then uh, my father-in-law is staying with us right now. Oh, no. And, and, oh, and uh, I said, you know, I mentioned I was going to, at the end of the week, I was going to go to see a Chapter 2. Um, and then I asked if he'd like to come along. And he was like, oh, well, tell me what it's about. And I said, well, there's actually a first part. Would you like to watch it? And now my father-in-law, who's, you know, a 70-plus gentleman uh, who, who has no background knowledge, like doesn't remember the miniseries, has not read the book. I, I was like, oh, this would be interesting. Oh, you did. <laughs> oh, you, no. wow. So I, I like, I sat him down and we watched the first, so I, I watched it twice then. And, but the second time I was watching it, I was watching it from the point of view of someone who's, who has no background information about this whole thing. And it was really interesting to watch because at the end of it, I was like, so what do you, what do you think it is? And he was like, I, I have no idea what this, what this clown is or what it's about or what it's trying to do or, or why it exists or what its powers are. He was just like, he was like, I guess it was kind of scary, but I just don't understand what happened in that movie. And I was like, that, I think that was my, my, that was the reaction I had the first time around watching it as a, as a cold viewer, just going, the power set of this creature doesn't, and the reason it doesn't need explained is because the movie's been truncated in two. I think the truncation, now that I've watched it a second time around, is actually a good idea because it it um, it manages to condense this book and I've been again I've been catching up on the book through the po- the losers podcast and the book is uh, is you know like as you, you could probably attest to is uh, uh, a massive grab bag of ideas oh and, and everything is a new detail yeah. and a new thought and a new nuance it feels like you, it, it, it it's it's a it's one of those rare books, as I recall when I was reading it uh, back in the day, and then you know listening to the Losers podcast, that it the ideas are put on paper as they th- as they're considered. Like it's not a it's not a book that feels like it was preconceived with a full structure in place, right? I think he uh, no, I I think he did definitely have a full structure. I think <laughs> that he had a plan, right? But I think that he fleshed it out so intensely. That it's you know eleven hundred and fifteen pages, <laughs> and it's just it, it feels like it's such a you know like it, it, again for Stephen King it blends the sort of cosmic things that he's interested in yes. like you know like in Dreamcatcher or something like that Dark Tower uh, Dark Tower obviously well Dark Tower is kind of a slightly different one because that is more of a uh, a central centralization of every idea he's had. Sure, but that also is in a cosmic sort of uh, ethereal it a, sense. It has a cosmic side to it, but I, I think Dark Tower is kind of unique in his in his body of work, which is that it it's Dark Tower feels like the culmination of everything he's been doing working on. And, and, yes, and, uh, no, but that's I, the reason why I think yeah. But, but and then and then at the same time, it's got that sort of like small town Maine kind of feel to it. You know, kind of like Stand by. You know, it has it feels like Stand by Me was basically an extra. You know, like taking one element of the Losers Club, of, of it, and making its own movie out of it. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, there's definitely, there are shades of each other in the film, for sure. Yeah, exactly. So I, I kind of think it, it, it's, it's an unwieldy novel. It's a really unwieldy novel, and the idea to like adapt it, I can understand the rationalization to like pull out just this this fir- front half of it and make a movie out of that. Even though I think and it kind of, I don't it, think that that was a bad decision. No, I think that was a good decision. Yeah. yeah, I have two small tangents, but based on things you've both said. Okay. Uh, first and foremost, uh, the listening to the podcast about a topic that you weren't initially psyched about, but that 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 sort of like built it up it's almost the same thing i think jamie being around you a lot got me sort of really pumped for it because you were so pumped for it when when you is there a word shahir or actually <laughs> either of you w- for that 
um, I guess, uh, emotional uh, vampirism, I guess would what I would uh, call it. Contact high? Kind of. Yeah, it's like a contact high about, about topic matter or media because when you are listening or hanging out with a group of people that are psyched about a thing, it is so much easier from a from a, a a mental gymnastics standpoint to get really pumped about a thing that you might not be able to do normally. And this has happened to me in a lot of different stuff. And and depending on the topic, it you know either sticks or fades. Like you moved out of a small main town, but like like I've been in conversations with with um, super charismatic, fun people about sports, and I'm like, ooh, I. I, I'm interested in this, and then, you know, that fades, too. But, like, you know, when you're listening to, uh, I don't know, a, a podcast, perhaps, about uh, film, and uh, you, you might not resonate with the film itself, there is, like, what I wish there was a, a good word for that sort of, like, just uh, all-encompassing contact high I, of enjoyment. I mean, I, I think it's seeing it from the perspective of, especially in the case of that podcast, which I've started listening to. Thank you, here for the reference. Um, it it's there's so there's so much information that you suddenly are like, well, I didn't think about this, yeah, or you didn't know this, and so it, yeah. suddenly then you then you want to peer at it again, and that's where the interest. And comes it gives back. you social value, I think, like it, it or it portrays social value. Here is a group or one person or a group of people that you like that then value a thing, mm-hmm. and then something in your brain and all of our brains is sort of like, oh, this is a valuable thing. I'm gonna think about it again, like. Is is that make? I I I don't know if this would be the. This feels more like a clinical definition, but uh, but I guess contextual enthusiasm, you know, like you, you possibly something like that. The thing I like about the Losers podcast is that they're they're not above criticism of the work itself. Sure. So they're actually very critical of like things that are in the book. They generally come from it of a place of like enjoy, you know, like obviously you have to enjoy Stephen King to want to put in as many hours and the of podcasting <laughs> as they have and into reading it as they have. But I think they actually do come from a place of okay, we can acknowledge that we like this thing, but that doesn't mean it's all great. It's all gravy. You know, and what I, I mean? think that plays into yeah. th- why you can trust people and you enjoy those things. So that so there's yeah. that sort of thing. And then the second thing was the context of your father-in-law mm. because you know it's so interesting i was thinking about this because yeah first it movie you have no idea what this thing is or what it can do well i want to i want to uh i want to respectfully disagree with that point but i don't want to interrupt you so uh keep going and i'll do it later (laughs) well you already did so let's go well i just i you know sure there aren't like exact rate laid out rules in the first movie as to uh yes what the monster is, is 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 technically but I thought that there was a better, uh, not maybe, perhaps not like clinical, but almost a better logical handle for me on what it was in the first movie. It did explain. I, I don't. I don't think it's unclear. I had no like. Well, I don't get it. Everything seems. I, I, here, here's a here's a couple of examples. Like, if you have no idea what if you're if you're watching it completely cold, what are deadlights? That bit they didn't put in. But like they, what? They and, really and all, didn't explain it in the second no, movie. No, but like, like, like that. That's just an example. But also, like the fact, like to me, the the big thing in the first one is the, the like it kind of you know, the, and they do reference this in the first film as well. Is it is kind of like Freddy Krueger in that he can attack you in your mind. You know, like he is sort of like a psychological creature, and he has this sort of omnipotent magic to him, which mm-hmm. he can do. But then in in, like, in the film, planet. there's also like a physical component to him, which doesn't really make sense. Like he can appear at will. He manipulates reality. But you know, like he can appear at will in front of you and also affect you. Like he can actually kill you uh, through your mind. But he also 
has like a physical presence which you can just beat up and well, yeah. you know what i mean so like the, the, i'm just, like we if you're if you're watching it cold you're like wait what you know what i mean so the interesting thing that i found with this whole this whole bit of the conversation is the is the word power set like mm. your father-in-law didn't understand really what it could do mm. or what it was but if you look at like classic not classic but like current ghost or poltergeist horror cinema the power set is pretty similar but it's but but because it's wrapped up in the sense of oh it's a ghost or it's a poltergeist or it's a spirit right contextually culturally we can be like oh yeah that's what that's what a ghost can do right right but and i i I just find that so interesting that like there is i can totally see the disconnect because it is not a ghost yeah but but it's not the power sets it's like the cultural reference point of what certain mythological creatures can do and it is a little bit outside yeah. of that he's a glamour they talk about it in the book yeah. well he's not he's a but he's in the an fir- interdimensional being but yeah. you it, know it, they 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 have a discussion about like what this kind of creature is and they say like he's he <laughs> He he can read your mind and appear as whatever is scary and shapeshift and like do all of the things that it does. And and not to sort of get to this point, uh, you know, because I think this was a problem for me, uh, but it was actually clearer in the miniseries was that the thing that you needed to to fight it was belief. Yes. And and it, but in the film, they kind of I think that is underlying what happens but eventually it turns into like a bit of a fight fight where they're actually like beating it up and 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 like it's 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 getting weaker because they're beating it up and it's and it's like wait is that how it works you know like is, and 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 I'm just saying again my point there is that if you're if you're coming at this completely cold and you're just kind of watching it it can be like Oh? I did get in the first film, and I promise we're going to get to the second one. <laughs> yeah. um, I did understand in the first film that the more confident that the kids got, the more they could beat it up. And they do pay that off yeah. in the second film in a different way. Um, so, like, I did understand. I was like, oh, it's the power of belief. It's believing that you can do this and therefore you can do it. Just like the, its power is belie- if you believe in it, then it can kill you. Well, like, and it's, it's confidence and it's feeling... Uh, I, I just wrote this down because uh, one bit problem I had the second movie was that it didn't have a, a true point. But like mm-hmm. their weapon against it is not only like belief, but it's also love and community mm-hmm. uh, where it actively kind of isolates the community and shuts it down a little bit. And that's why everyone's so vulnerable. Like they find a family and a, and a brethren in themselves and that's what keeps them safe and that's why they have to be together well it's that's true but then at the same point it's actually not because the way that they beat it is that we'll talk about at the end has literally nothing to do with community whatsoever it literally has to do with making something feel a certain way well but that scene is still about community you know and it's even about that them scene not is not them. about no no the scenes before that are but the final resolution of how they defeat it, and I don't want to say it yet. Uh, are we talking about the second one or the first? We'll one get right you know. What, let's you know what? On. We're getting a little. We're getting a little into let's, the weeds. What here. is it? It 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 it. Can it, Matt? It, can it. you read us the uh, the the synopsis for it chapter two? Oh, you know I can. IMDb says that this film is quote. 27 years later, after the first encounter with the terrifying Pennywise, the Losers Club have grown up and moved away until a devastating phone call brings them back. I don't think the phone call was devastating. Maybe the uh, murder's well, underneath well, the phone call. Well, here's the deal. <laughs> it, but, like, I kind of liked that. I, I don't think the film did this 
well, but I like the concept. When at, when when um the, they all get the call from the dude who stayed in town, Mike. Mike. Uh, they that's the other. Oh, side note. I don't remember, remember any because they're all like Mike, John, Bill, Frank, <laughs> Gary. Like it's all these like one Frank syllable is my favorite character. one <laughs> syllable names that like sure. When Mike calls them all back, they all have like a PTSD esque like reaction to it and they don't know why i wish they played that up a little like they showed all of the reactions one of them gets into a car wreck one has cg vomit uh the uh bill Hader cg vomits was off a balcony vomit? yeah oh, it was, so it, was, was it was it was pretty cg yeah. yeah uh i actually it was funny jamie and i had different reactions to it i was impressed with the cg vomit i was like oh good cg vomit and jamie was just not no, about i was it. looking right into his gullet and i was like no god that's like a nickelodeon cartoon yeah. <laughs> i did not notice the cg vomit i would be surprised if they did CG vomit because he didn't have to talk before it. Well, like from a practical point of view, it just makes sense to put stuff in his mouth. Oh, I know, hands. but we know that films don't like to do. Well, the first bit I think was not CG, and then the second one was. <laughs> no, yeah. the, when he when it's the undershot <laughs> and it's the vomit's going right past the he, camera, that's CG there's vomit. Two, he jettisons. I would twice. need to re. I would need to rewatch it. We I, watched it in IMAX, so <laughs> we have a real good up close and personal <laughs> view of the vomit. We should move on from yeah, the vomit. Yeah. Um, did you? But 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 did you rewatch the miniseries? No. Or did you remember the miniseries? No. This was like, it's cliche and comic in the miniseries, that whole sequence, because uh, they would do this like crash zoom every time a character got the call from Mike. <laughs> so funny. He was like, every character got the call, and then they would be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I was kind of glad they didn't do that, but right. it's, it's, it's like familiar trope, for, uh, familiar territory from the first movie, uh, from the first miniseries. I do, this is sort of what I'll say in the beginning of this film, uh, I, I like, because I knew where it was going. I think this movie, especially in the first third, trusts that you know where it's going a little too much. Like the the the, the like we're, we're we see the, those like horrible reactions of like whatever, and then they get back together, and then it's not quite clear that they don't remember for like a little bit of the conversation. Like no, like everyone so assuredly has to go back. But like then the, that then they're not sure why they then they're not there. sure yeah. why and they like but they never question why they go back until they're already back and there's just a weird disconnect and I don't know if it's a script or sort of the way the scenes were played but like it almost felt like knowledge gained and knowledge lost too quickly and they don't really I agree with you and they don't the only person that really has a chance to talk about it is Beverly uh, who has to explain to her uh, central casting abusive husband. Uh, yeah. About <laughs> why she can't, why she has to go back, or she can't explain why she has to go yeah. back. But she doesn't, you know. She's just, she's just rushed, and I, I like, I, I don't know. You, you, it's not, it's not. Um, it a, another thirty seconds, perhaps, on the fact that they can't remember would have been nice. Right. Yeah. Or, or even, even, yeah. And it doesn't have to be dialogue. Just like something to show that they're all in the same boat of confusion, and they are drawn back by something, and then to have a sort of resolution or like, uh, uh, even the moment in the in the uh, Chinese food restaurant uh, before there's some fortune cookie nonsense, um, th like they they all were like falling back into old sort of trope, which is great, but like then they acted like they didn't remember after that. And I know it's supposed to be like blank spots in the memory, but like if you have blank spots in the memory, you wouldn't act like it 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 this is what it was. The performance went from way too comfortable and understanding to I have no idea what's going on, like way too quickly. It was never like no one was cautious at all. 
So I am interested to hear Jamie's opinion on this whole film, given coming from a book reader's point of view and also a lover of the first film. I'm, I'm very curious just your your overall thoughts on this whole thing. Do, like, should I just like stretch? Should I just pull the trigger? Pull the trigger. I had a great time watching this film, and that's it. I didn't <laughs> think it was very good. <laughs> uh, I, you know, and I, I think I said this earlier in the first film. I can tell you what the themes are. I walked out of that resonating with the film feel understanding what it was about get like getting the point that the writers and directors were trying to get across and and really uh, appreciating it and this was like about the memification of pennywise <laughs> like it just didn't i i it should this film should have been about uh not only reliving trauma but uh you know uh understanding it and growing from it and outside of sort of Bill's plot, mm-hmm. I really didn't think that they hit the... I, I think that they maybe swung the hammer, but like the nail was way... Oh, you know, they'd like put a... And when you say Bill, not Bill Hader, but, but Bill Bill's Hader. character. Bill, Although, God, Bill this Dinber- should be Dinber, the only right? podcast about Bill Hader. Right. My goodness. What a national treasure. We should um, be doing Barry as a as an entire series. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm talking about Dil- Bill Denbro, played by uh, James McAvoy. Yeah. Man, he, I he had he had some stuff, and I did like his stuff, but uh, that like it didn't carry the film. It wasn't the film didn't feel about that. The film just felt like continuing an adventure. I can't take him seriously with an English accent. I mean, with an American accent. Oh, he's done a lot. I know. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of been his bread and butter. I know. It just it's weird. Have you have you seen Split? Yeah. Uh, he's amazing yes, in Split. He he's that. he's phenomenal in Split. Um, I, from a from a book to from a book to to film translation. What, how do you think the adaptation actually went? I mean, I think that the first one was great, uh, but they, I I don't know. The first one also took a little more time, and it's funny because going into it, I was like, "Geez, we're gonna lose a lot of stuff," you mm. know. Uh, th- there's just so much in this book that you cannot put in. But then as I was watching it, I thought you could have taken out a little more or mm. maybe put in more important stuff like like Beverly's Beverly's mm. plot with her husband. Mm. Very powerful in the film yeah. and continues. Tom. Yeah. Tom is a character throughout yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and in this, it was just this sort of bookend closed thing that felt so it felt campy. It felt so like a bit just cliche rather than real and dangerous. And mm. um that was frustrating to me because I thought you could have, you could have taken it out. You don't even really bring it up again. She doesn't seem to get to grow from it all. Beverly's plot after that scene shifts to which boy are you gonna like? Right. Uh, which again, <laughs> not really a great. You know, she's for, a more complicated a, character. For than a survivor that. of abuse, that seems to be a pretty uh, exactly. rudimentary yeah. approach to like your um, future. And I felt the same way about uh, Adrian Mellon. The the <laughs> the film starts with uh, this hate crime mm. and. Um, that's uh, a super big deal because that's sort of when it shows up mm-hmm. at, at the second time. And I think one of the reasons that that scene is important and powerful is because it's from the the perspective of police investigating and, and In persecuting book. this hate crime. And they don't do any of that. It right. just happens. The, again, central casting, weird bullies that I don't know translated yeah. well to 2019. Did you, did you, I, you may not have recognized who the actor who played Adrian was, but... Uh, uh, so he's, yeah. he's, he's a Dulan. film guy. Yeah, yeah. Xavier Dulan. He's an uh, amazing filmmaker. 
uh, and very young as well. But he made his first film when he was 19. I wonder if he reached out about being in, uh, like, why he's <laughs> in that role, I wonder. Um, I, I, I think I put it down to maybe he and Muschietti are friends, oh, yeah. uh, you know, something like that. Because yeah. there are three, there's actually another director cameo in this film uh, uh, later on as well. <laughs> oh, so. <yeah>. Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is a director. Uh-huh. Only one movie. But, I mean, I think, I think a, f- a problem with the film was just that, that, like, they show what happens to him and it is scary, uh, but it doesn't go anywhere. That's There's the thing. No, the, the town isn't a character in this movie. Yeah, yeah. That is thing. very frustrating. And that's very true in the book. Now, now, that is one of my big recollections of the book is that the the idea that the that Derry is entirely corrupted and permeated with evil in a way that allows them to ignore the crimes. And of that's Pennywise. in the first film. Yeah, the first uh, film is a huge amount of of a, a sort of a, a, a adults. Uh, mm. Not ignoring, ignoring, yeah. or looking the other way, or not doing anything about it, or being uh, not so great themselves. This this film felt like there was like a convenience factor that they just because they had to roll through and it was three hours long. But like the adults, the loser club adults, interact with no other adults that are not sort of yeah. Pennywise adjacent, mm. and that made the entire thing feel real bubbled. Mm-hmm. Yes, like it didn't make Derry feel like a real place at all. And side note, just to go back with the people with the hate crime in the beginning. The fact that they did it like that, I was like, oh, man, this is an atrocious, like, this is a horrifying scene. I guarantee you in my brain, I was like, they're setting up these fucking bullies for, like, a come up and somewhere down the line or these these assaulters. And that never came. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, it. what the shit? And it happens again. You know, uh, Veronica, the little girl mm. uh, who gets it. Uh, it she, she uh, that doesn't matter. That yeah. scene didn't matter. It didn't yeah. come. It didn't come back. It didn't get reported. It didn't tip Mike off. Nothing happened. They just. I felt like they were just like, oh, we should get another kid getting messed up in here. All yeah. right, let's just put this in and that's it. You know, it just didn't didn't matter. Yeah. The only thing that uh, mattered was that she's in the scene with Adrian Mellon, and right. that didn't matter in the movie. You right. know. Yeah. Yeah. So did I miss a question? Well, no, we just we roll over. We Yeah. No, I I think I agree. With, so I if I was on a roller coaster about this film this week, where I was kind of like maybe I'm in, maybe I I, I misjudged the first film, uh, you know, and like softened on it a little bit. Boy, this film, it chapter two, uh, solidified my 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 issues with the entire franchise. Oh, you know, the entire two films at this point, which is that uh, I I think this movie is uh is a ginormous. And I think I think the you know if if I want to be um, uh, uh, positive about some things, I think the task of adapting that particular book is is ominous at best. Um, you know, like uh, famously, Kari Fukunaga was attached to this film for a long period of time, uh, and I would have been really curious to see what he would have done with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he still had a writer's uh, credit attached to the first one, but he doesn't in this one. Um, and from what I understand, his draft a lot of his draft survives the the first film, sure, but entirely doesn't in this film um and and i i think what happens in this film is, is exactly something that you mentioned uh, uh, earlier jamie which is the memification of pennywise it's hilarious because it feels like it it the, the way i watched this movie was it felt like the f- uh six main characters 
were basically going on the Pennywise funhouse ride and joking their way through it. I couldn't understand the tonal connection to what to the comedy that was being played out between these characters and the horror of the movie that they were that they were doing. There was like they never the, there was almost never a moment where they weren't able to throw in a one liner yeah. from Bill Hader or something or one of these characters when the most horrific things are happening to them. And I and I and I found that jarring and and tonally so confusing to actually like get into this film you know what i wonder because that's in the first movie too but they're children so it works there is something about sort of the the youthful incompetence of the kids Mm. and how they are very scared but also like make those jokes and say oh shit at weird moments that works right and in this i feel like they are still those characters but they tried to keep that but it doesn't work because they're adults and we're looking for a different story with them we're looking for a different relationship to these characters yeah and and we're also we're also you know the ostensibly if the first film is about fear the second film is about trauma and and the the kind of the playing of trauma gets undercut by the by the comedy in a lot of places so mm-hmm. it tend, it tends not to work for me i'm sure that oh sorry uh, so so I think you know like that to me was kind of problematic and I think you know like then it's just an unwieldy unwieldy mythology that they're trying to weave in with this character and and I think the issue is is that the mythology that as written doesn't need to be translated like it is I th- I think you need to like really take uh, a pair of pliers to this novel and a, a, pl- a pair of pliers and a blowtorch and like really think about what is actually going to play on screen. And for the most part, I think the first movie actually does that a little bit better by, by like paring down, even if it, it can be confusing, you know, the, the more I know about the deadlights, the less interested I am in it. The more I know about um, the way Pennywise actually works or the fact that he's an alien or the, the ritual of Chud, the less interested I am in it. And, and I think, you know, and, and the other one I think that plays into that is Henry Bowers. Henry Bowers in the, in the book uh, and the original miniseries was like such a huge factor because he is kind of the exemplification of how Pennywise can corrupt someone. Yeah. You know, and someone who's already leaning towards being corrupted. I didn't like the way he was played in the first film because he was like a sociopath to begin with. Um, but but in this one, he's entirely redundant. You know, like he's there for no real purpose. Yeah, you just, I mean, he's, he's uh, dangerous, mm. but... They just kind of take care of it, you know. Yeah. It doesn't really go anywhere. Well, yeah. going sorry, going back to um the 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 tonal shift and the like what you said, Jamie. I think I incredibly agree about the kids. Like it's, it's okay to be silly or or a little bit jovial, even in terrifying situations when they're kids. Uh, and also share with the with the trauma comments. Like yeah, like this one's supposed to be more about that, and they they again sort of half set that up. Uh, I think it, it felt like. This was a direction given to these actors to be like, don't forget, you're going to sort of regress back to being these kids now that you're back in town. Mm -hmm. That's what it felt like, though I don't think it worked. The, the... Let, let's be very clear about what this film is. This film is not a horror movie whatsoever. No. It has horrifying things in it. It has violence and a clown that eats children. But it is... 100% 100% no matter what played for comedy more than anything else and I, again this is the strange part about that and I think that that takes away from uh, the, the the I'm blanking on the name the guy we were just talking about the the bully Henry Bowers Henry Bowers it takes away from his 
terrifyingness and agency because like he's now like uh, uh, a mullet like having mental patient that escapes dude with his with the help of his dead teenage sidekick and like who is driving the car? Yeah. Is he not driving? And here's the, the thing. I actually I didn't mind that because to me Henry Bowers drives the car, but he sees his friend. Sure. That in, makes in sense the, in it magic. In the book, I think it is actually his friend. His friend comes back and drives the car. Yeah. No, his friend uh he he escapes, I believe, on foot and then gets a hitchhike. Oh really? Uh, yeah. I, I recall a friend driving the car. I, I remember the the guy his coming. His friend back. comes out from under the bed. Yeah. Uh but um he walks out because Pennywise uh, manifests and scares everybody. And, and, then, and, he, and then he literally just like books it to Derry because he's at like Augusta. He's not very far. But here's the thing. Isn't the friend actually Pennywise? Like the, in oh, all, yeah, in all never, these iterations, yeah, it's, it's, never, it's actually Pennywise, yeah. which, may, which makes me confused. It's I was like, real. why play Penny? Why, why does Pennywise come back as the decomposed version of his friend? So, so I had an idea on why <laughs> this would be. But again, the movie doesn't do it. And maybe, Jamie, you can answer this for the book. Like what I thought is, OK, kids beat it uh, 27 years ago and it's hurt and it has to sort of like rejuvenate over the course of the 27 years. But it can't quite come back until like hate is spread again, like hate and fear, hence the hate crime in the beginning. And that's when we, Pennywise first comes back, although he seems pretty freaking powerful with all the damn balloons and everything under the bridge. Like, mm. that's fine. But then I was like, oh, why would he need Henry? Um like what's the hell's the point why does he give two shits and the idea would be there's two possible ideas one he needs someone to sort of spread more fear in the town to sort of get him more powerful but he's doing a pretty good job of that to mm -hmm. begin with so and also there's hate crimes all over the place apparently so that seems to be fine and then two he's doing it as a vindictive thing to the kids like he's trying to like be like, remember this fucking terror that terrified you as a kid, this real thing? That's why it befriends him and sort of sends him forward. But if that's the case, the movie does doesn't but like the kids don't give a shit about this guy. Like no. they recognize they don't even know yeah, they he's hate him. They make fun of his. They're just like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like and, and so like he's not scary, and therefore I don't know why there's even screen time in this film. I understand why in the book, yeah. but in this film is perfunctory at best. Like yeah. it I was mean, very weird. I feel like they felt like they had to keep him in, but they didn't. It's almost like yeah. they were afraid to rewrite too much, but they also had to push things around anyway. Yeah. It's just there's a bit because, of messiness of organization. Like, yeah. They the just whole, needed to. The whole thing feels like a messy kind of uh, a messy culmination of everything that's in the book somehow translated to screen and none of it kind of really working in even the, and I think the thing is is in, in the book a lot of um, a lot of the imagery around Pennywise when he's you know when it's the deadlights when it's uh, when he's the spider and stuff is kind of suggested but not really explicit because he's because they talk about this isn't his true form but you couldn't really imagine what his true form is so this is the only way that you as humans could see what could imagine what the true form is and and Pennywise himself. I think there's actually one moment that I quite liked visually in this film, which I think explained a little bit of of how Pennywise worked, which was that the deadlights are essentially projecting Pennywise into into reality. Yeah. And there's a moment in this film where, you know, Pennywise opens his like giant claw mouth his and maw. then and then you see that there's a hole behind his head and that is where the deadlights are projecting through. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was actually kind of a a neat visualization of that really difficult concept that that King kind of comes you know tries to explain which is that you you can't really see what the deadlights are. And I like this idea that it was yeah, a, he was a projection. Is, that is that is 
That is a cool way of showing it. You're right. It, it doesn't make sense by the end of the film. <laughs> no, but here's the other weird thing, too, about that. So that moment, there's a moment where it's Bill Hader, mm-hmm. and he's, like, telling off Pennywise in the cistern. And there's a moment where, like, it, that was such an odd culmination of feelings for me when I was watching it, because I was like, oh, man, it's a heroic moment. And then the actual moment you've described, which is a horrifying visual thing, pacing-wise and editing-wise, is played for comedy. Like, he's like, you come on, and he gets, like, dead. And Bill Hader, like, does the, like, puppet limb collect. He's so funny. It's terrible. And because that's the thing where it's coming through the mouth and whatever. And, like, you're seeing this thing, but you just had an amazingly comically timed, like, cutout of a joke. And so you're like, oh, oh, oh. And, like, I didn't, like, I knew I was liking what I saw, but I had, like, Every emotion canceled itself out, and I was just sort of like, and I'm neutral. Like, yes. it was real weird. Although, well, I, I didn't feel neutral. I did feel like, you know, it was it was like a fun jumble of things. I guess. I had fun. It was fun so to watch that's the movie. The, this is, this yeah. is the odd thing for me. I 100% agree. I can tear this thing apart quite easily, but I will say that I enjoyed my, like, it was a long movie. I never looked at my watch. Hmm. And, like, I I really enjoyed watching it despite – and you know what it might be? You you brought something up. Oh, Shahir, I forget exactly what it was, but it made me think of the Fast and the Furious vacation of sort of, like, genre film. Oh, you mean the memification of Pennywise? Right. So let's (laughs) – I think, actually, to be fair, Jamie coined that. Right. So – but, like – so Fast and the Furious was a street racing movie, right? It just, I, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to get somewhere with this, but just follow me down this rabbit hole. It was like a standardized sort of like street racing movie that was style, but like it, it, was, it was grounded in reality and you kind of understood, you know, what genre it fell into. And now, I mean, holy shit, it's like this weird action car- comedy that's basically a G.I. Joe cartoon, right? And, and, and sort of mainstream going movie culture has gotten used to the idea of sort of like, oh, it's not a horror or it's not an action or it's not a comedy. It's all these things. like, And like it's mashed sort of everything together. So this this thing feels like a homo- homogenization. Is that the right word? Uh, uh, an amalgamation, amalgamation. Um, of, of sort of a bunch of different types of films that this could be. And rather than select one and like trust in it, it just like stirred the pot of action horror comedy way more than the first one did. I, I think the the actual the actual issue for me is is slightly slightly different to that, which is that I I agree that the uh, there is a, a a sort of hodgepodge of genres that are basically going in here, which is, makes it tonally very messy. Yeah, you know, like to have the uh, the the child uh, you know being killed at the beginning, which is horrific, and the hate crime horrific, but then to play the rest of the film as comedic is 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 mm-hmm. just tonally very and, and to not tie them together. Yeah, yeah, just tonally very because you know you know how things. it would tie together. This is a spoiler for the very end, but at the very end they they realize that in order to defeat it, they have to make it feel small. Essentially, they have to bully they it down. They have to abs- affect its self esteem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, affect yeah. its self esteem. <laughs> but I would have loved if their if their humor was the way they. Did did that yeah. you know because yeah. then that would have made sense for the, what the rest of the film was but it wasn't they just kept calling you're a motherfucking clown and i was like that's it that's all you got you like you guys have been like be- bitter bantering and that's, the entire movie it's kind of <laughs> it's more effectively what they do uh especially as you youths yeah. in, in uh the book yeah uh, stanley yuris who i think <laughs> as a child is severely undercut as a character in the movie right like, yeah he's a great character in the book uh he's very distinctly different and he has one of the best sort of like uh thematic 
internal monologues, which is that, you know, he, he is very resistant to the idea of stopping it. He really yeah. doesn't want to do it. But it's not just that he's scared. It, it talks about, and actually my friend uh, is a horror novelist, Spencer Hughes, and he mm. just did a YouTube lecture on this. He he says it's not just that it was scary. It's that its existence offended him. Right. The nature of something out of reason yeah. was offensive to your idea of existence. And so how could you, how could this exist? How could you exist and this exist at the same time? Because it turns everything that you believe false. L well, let's put a uh, pen in Stanley yours because well, I want to come back to his I, note. <laughs> my, my, my point, yeah. Uh, my, my, my point there though is that when it, uh, Stanley is a child, he has a, a more detailed encounter with it mm -hmm. in which he's trapped in a, a water tower yeah. and there's like zombies coming at him and there's water and it's very scary. And he uh, he's a bird watcher. Yeah, and he recites. He, yeah, he, something gets into his head that he just starts screaming the names of the birds he knows. Yeah. And he can tell that it's working, and he eventually gets out of the water tower by pushing against that. And and which actually I liked in the movie, they still there's the, there's the bird thematic puzzles, bird references yeah, yeah. everywhere. Um, but they all kind of figure that out. They all kind of figure out that like if they find the things that are they're good at that make them happy, that make them talented, like that's how they end up defeating him. It's not that they're like. You're not as funny as people say you are. Like they, they, it, it works. Is that yeah. where the totems works more in the book then? Because like the totems, I thought thought were like in, in the way they were presented in the film felt like a perfunctory like fetch quest. Yeah, yeah. it was fetch like it was, I, I call it the Horcruxes of Deary. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, no, I was saying that it's a, they, they, there's a Horcrux thing. In yeah, this, yeah, in yeah. This movie. It was like every character has to go and find the Horcrux to like yes. defeat it, and it's and the Horcruxes are kind of like strangely irrelevant yeah. and and like strangely it's what Matt's saying so, they don't they didn't matter in the film and i thought that they i was hoping they'd tie back more like they make one line where they go in to burn it but like also it wasn't entirely clear like for like when bill goes to the bike and there's the stephen king uh cameo in the pawn shop i was like and they make a big deal out of the bike mm. i was like is the bike his tool yeah, cuz i was like how are you going to carry how that down how are you going to burn that you going to bring a pedal and then and then and like and then if we talk about order a little bit uh you know and the bike Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. so, I mean, I feel bad because we keep saying, well, in the book, it's yeah. this way. But Audra, his wife, also mm. follows him to Derry. Yeah. Too many characters. Uh, no, is, she's really interesting. She's in a the, great... I, yeah. I really no, no. like the Audra plot. Yeah. I, I bet you the plot is great. I'm saying, like, in a film like this, yeah, I so see why cut they cut out, but it does make things feel like they're gone because they are. Not necessarily... The thing is, Audra and Tom's story plays better than Henry Bowers' story would have in this film. Yes. Like, if you think about what Henry Bowers is doing in this film... Imagine that there are two other characters that are doing the same thing. Yeah. And 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 that's what makes that that sort of trifecta of three people that are converging that have nothing to that essentially have nothing to do with the Losers Club, except for Henry Bowers. Uh, that's what makes that interesting is that these other characters are converging on it and it uh oh Pennywise kind of seizes upon them. The thing I wanted to come back to just really uh, quickly is that the the problem I had is not necessarily the the sort of amalgamation of tone and you know comedy. It's the issue. There's one scene where basically the film does a callback to the first movie, and and I watch that scene feeling like, oh, what you think is happening is that we all think that the first movie is so iconic that a callback that at this point is going to make us cheer. Is it the Bill Hader line? It is the Bill Hader yes. line. Yeah, and that it's, was. It's, wait, wait, when was I? Don't even remember this. When he's like. 
Mucci, why don't you why don't you say what you said the last time? Yeah. Mucci's like, good thing we're not measuring dicks. Yeah. You know, and that's a funny movie, funny line from the first movie. But yeah, why would they remember? Why that would one they remember? Yeah, when wh- Richie is constantly saying shit. It's ba- and that and that's the really? point. That rubbed and you both he, the wrong way. And then he it, says, "Let's it go ma- kill the fucking clown." Because yeah. it makes it seem like again that these are characters that are going through the it ride, as opposed to these characters having lived through the first film. It was like you know a what classic I mean? that, sequel goof. Yeah, it's like it's, the, it, why is the wrong the, yeah, It's 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 line, like it's basically know? doing the callback to you know like I'll be back or doing the but you know you know the martini you know shaking not yes. stir. Here's the deal with that though. If if the rest of the movie didn't play in the exact same tone, I would be like, yeah, that's out of place. No, that no, no, felt... that, that's what I'm saying is that that is emblematic of the oh, pro- emblematic of the, sure of the tonal. Yeah, that, of the way the film thinks that we think, uh, of the way the film thinks that the audience thinks of the first movie, and and then and I, the problem is is that the film loses its sense of like how do these characters, these people who experienced this trauma from 27 years ago, how do they really react to that? Because I'm sure her shit, we could have had some yuckles here and in 27 years time, if we come back to do this podcast, we're not going to be like doing callbacks for everything. Like, say if someone tried to murder us on this podcast, for example. And Zoe? Is, that, is, is my yeah. cat anywhere? Yeah, if Zoe became like Thanks a giant demon monster. <laughs> like, would the trauma of coming back 27 years later mean that we're just doing callback jokes the whole time? Emblematic you know I mean? is a great way of putting I so that that's the thing. In that specific scene, I had no problem because the movie set me up for two hours to that that's what it's gonna be. That scene's also completely perfunctory. Oh, yeah, but sure. But like the, so is so is a lot of the literally the two thirds of this movie is is going back and having Pennywise encounters when they split up to go find their horcruxes that is either a flashback from when they were kids and they kinda got into a fight or something after the incident because sure uh or and adulthood like the whole thing is sort of perfunctory and kind of sloppy because they want to show you more it scares they're memifying pennywise in a weird way but uh and i i think that is a great way it's it's the culmination of what sort of the representation of what is wrong emblematic is a great word uh Mm -hmm. with sort of what works uh what doesn't work in the film however that moment again this is the weird part about this because the movie set me up and put me on these tracks for this ride i was like cool Oh, like right. I, 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 again, I thought I, th- I was uh, I had a tough time. Uh, it was long it's... and painful for me to watch, and it was, it was just, it was dull with no surprises, and and I think there that's, were no surprises. There was no surprise, and it was and it was long and dull for me. Here's... You know, like, you know, this is a movie which should scare you and actually genuinely terrify you, and then like, and then undercut maybe just one or two moments with comedy so that those you know th- those are the moments you remember but this is every moment is like that and nothing is scary the and i agree that i was truly frightened because and, and matt, will, matt will tell you i cover i cover my eyes at jump scares because i'm a big baby uh the only scene that i thought was effectively really frightening and 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 strong and powerful uh was the funhouse boy uh, right. incident that i i thought was good but I think it's well executed. Yes, like I, I like like this is the, the other thing that I I sort of uh, had forgotten about the first one is how slick it is. Like that is a slick, movie, yeah. slickly a made slick mo- uh, made movie. I, I think uh, I missed the DP of that, which was Chung Hung Chung, uh, the Korean DP, who I think gave everything a, a little bit of sort of internal depth you know like in terms of lighting wise where i felt this film felt felt a little bit flatter different dp is a different dp yeah you could tell yeah well and didn't a friend of yours say there's no grittiness to i said oh you said i'm sorry i'm a friend of me (laughs) i've got a friend in me 
I uh, want to. I want to point out. Sorry, Jamie, I interrupted. No, no, no. I, I was just gonna <laughs> reiterate. <so. laughs> I want to. Uh, uh, this week uh, on the AV Club, AA Dowd is one of the editors for the AV Club. Uh, wrote a really fascinating article about uh, what it meant to him as he was reading it growing up, and it, and it, he he talks a lot about how it reflect. It was a place he could sort of invest in because it re- it allowed him to to live through the trauma he was experiencing in real life in interesting ways. Like he was able to like reflect upon the way in which Derry, for example, uh, had these terrible adults while he was dealing with, you know, in his life, terrible, terrible adults and alcoholism and that sort of thing. Um, but he, he, you know, he's a film critic as well, and he wrote this about the actual uh, adaptation. Um, Plenty got lost in the translation from page to screen, but the most damaging deviation in Andy Machete's not- movies is also the most understandable. The decision to cleave King's plus-size narrative into two distinct chapters, one devoted to the loser's childhood and, and the other to their adulthood, King told his story in a non-linear fashion, jumping back and forth in time, to the point where the line between past and present becomes porous. That structural decision was crucial. that structural decision was crucial. It was King using the very form of his novel to say, you may be done with the past, but the past isn't done with you. And in a way, what's the difference between them? However logical and profitable it was to retell it in a most, mostly chronological order, chapter two does restore some of the cross-cutting, I can't accept this approach. It betrays the very spirit of the work. And you having just read that, uh, read the book, does that kind of ring true to you, the way it the book... It does, and what a wonderful blurb. That's yeah. so well put. Uh, yeah, because yeah, the book the, the book essentially cross cuts, and, and and you know, for example, the book actually starts with Mike Hanlon investigating a child murder as he's an, as he's older, making the calls, and then we jump back it's, in well, time. It's Adrian Mellon. It starts with it's right, like yeah, the it starts police, with the, it's basically the police debriefing of Adrian. Well, for, it starts with Georgie, but then yeah. like Adrian Mellon happens, I believe, next. Yeah, and it's 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 all recall. It's all po- like police officers and investigators talking to the thugs who are getting their comeuppance yep. yeah. uh, for this hate crime and uh, them being kind of confused about the random and confusing reports of clowns, yeah. uh, uh, you know, of a clown. And like, you know, that's sort of the first real moment of shaky terror in the, in the, uh, in the book is that, you know, his boyfriend is explaining and he says he bit him, he bit him in the armpit. Yeah. And I liked that they kept that detail in, yeah. but I, when it happened in the movie, I thought it's still not as scary as when I read it. You no, know? and it, and it, and I think you know, like what he says in terms of betraying the spirit of the book itself, which is the idea that. That, you know, it's and it's a line that Mike Hanlon says during the ritual of chewed, um, which I just the way he says chewed is just, also we yeah. we appropriated the end of the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the 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 line that he says where um, you know the past and present have to become one is what the book is really about. You know, yes. like it's these characters yes. because porous. they for- he uses the word porous in yeah. there and it's yeah great because it's true. There's such a flip, it, like within a sentence. Yeah, the, the you can be in a ch- flip in, I, in the book. I think this film kind of does uh, a little bit of that when the when they're revisiting the past essentially this if you could take the structure of this film and place it on the tone of the first film you might have something but you might you're probably gonna have to make it like three or four hours they which definitely is, they definitely did not do that and they yeah. should have the yeah. 
there was a part in the the ritual which first and foremost i know this is kind of a bit of a stephen king trope but like uh native american mythology turned into horror tropes is just i'm just i do a little bit of an eye roll uh sort of going through that because I, it's like ooh, here's something we don't understand well, like i think that there is something to it it just felt awkward and a little inappropriate yeah, I don't know. but but beyond that there was a moment when they're doing the ritual and then like it fails right and they're mad at Mike because wh- here's this is what I didn't understand. <laughs> so in the Native American ritual, to to complete it, they all have to die. Is that what is uh, that what we are led to believe well, based s- on the flashback of props? They so rushed through that last part where maybe Mike Hanlon led them into a trap, but it doesn't matter. And then maybe he set a fire. Like wait, they, and then why did he cut? It's called a mat. They they just they cruised so quickly through that last. 20 minutes of the film. You know what it felt like? I felt like we were supposed to take something else from it and maybe they edited well, it out, but in, it doesn't work as well. And again, I hate to do the in the book thing, but but in the book thing, uh, <laughs> they're not just shouting... Uh, did lights be gone or whatever? What is the thing that they were shouting? Uh, or darkness, uh, light dark, to darkness. Turn light to darkness. Light to darkness. They're actually they have to do like this metaphysical, cosmic, intercelestial battle between the uh, with the wills of it, and essentially, you know, the 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 thing where they reduce it down to nothing by bullying it into its size down to nothing is something that happens cosmically in the in the in the book right like because the ritual should you know he has to actually go into the into the cosmic realm where it actually lives Mm -hmm. and and this all has to do with maturin right the the turtle turtle. yeah the turtle (laughs) turtle who sounds like he could have been voiced by jeff bridges yeah Um, yeah i was disappointed there was no turtle it's true and they reference the turtle a lot Mm. there's a lot of turtle uh, Mm, motifs But uh, hey, in it, chapter it's, two, it's weird. reference the turtle, you cowards. Also, Mike this also is the only book club about <laughs> yeah, yeah. chapter two. Well, Mike actually says like he was given Maturin by the uh, by the Native American people, yeah, uh, as this sort of like hallucinogen. I so I do want to, I, I think, more defend Stephen King than I <laughs> want to defend the movie for a moment with the use of Native American uh, reference. There actually in Maine is uh, an urban legend, which I'm sure is gra- not urban, I guess, but I'm sure it's grounded in in some fact that uh, there were logging com- com- uh, colonies, one or two, that established themselves in Maine in the woods and disappeared. Right. Uh, you know, gone like a group of people gone. Did they form uh, a pit cemetery? Well, they they all. I, I mean, I think the the idea is that there was indigenous tribes that we didn't know about, and the the spooky thing mm. is that people think like, well, Maine has so much wilderness still. Like, mm. there are towns that are just geographical points; they don't have names. Uh, that those those tribes could still be out there. Right. Uh, and um. You know, I think that I think that in that sense, you do have a folklore in Maine that is attached to things we don't know about the potential indigenous tribes there. Sure, uh, but again, but, but in this movie didn't do any of that very well. No. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think I think, and maybe that wasn't the point, you know. But I I don't know. Yeah. The, I can so, see where I can see his source material, and I can see it just get warped to something that I'm like I I didn't really like that the the, <laughs> the end of this movie and the way it's pre- the, the end of the story is presented which again i don't remember the book too much but i do remember i mean even the, what you've all described sounds like a better sort of full ending but again how do you film that i don't know but hell they made fury road they can do anything um the this felt like a D campaign that was like carefully planned and then the players just bungled it 
the entire way through. Like, all right, we got these horcruxes. Cool. Then the thing. Oh, you didn't do that. And then, like, Mike knew that there was going to be a ritual that, like, they were all going to get killed. But, oh, that doesn't matter. And, oh, shit, wait a minute. Now we have to pretend, like, we have to get into this cave because it's too big. And then we have to make it small by going into that cave. But we can't make it to that cave. So, oh, shit, how else can we make it small? Oh, we're going to tell it it's a cloud. There's a passage you have to see. And I'm like, I I was just like, this just felt to me like a DM reacting to players fucking up (laughs) and having to be like, well, I have to end the story. Yeah. So, okay. Okay, okay, what if? Like and doing it sort of like that. Um it it felt it felt not great, but again, this is the weird part. I didn't not like it. I think it could I mean, we've we've all illustrated ways it could be incredibly uh more effective well, in various aspects or, or angles or emotional tones of what it was doing, but why don't why don't I did we like say it. some things we liked? Um I so for whatever reason she here's gonna have Do a problem. So we're gonna go first. <laughs> Um, I really, you know what, this time around, and maybe it was a tonal thing, it could actually have to do with the the, the cinematography, Shahir. Mm-hmm. I didn't mind the CG here. I felt like the CG in the first one felt a little out of place with the, I guess, visual feel or tone of what they were doing. Um, but here, I was like, I, maybe because it was more prevalent or maybe because the way it was shot lent itself or the lighting sort of was matched better. But I, I liked it a lot. Um for all of the memification of Pennywise, I liked seeing more Pennywise. That's why I was kind of there. Uh, I also think that um, specific actors did very well. Jessica Chastain, I think, did great with what uh, she was offered to do. Also, um, the guy who did play Ben, um, Jay Ryan. Yeah, I thought. New Zealander. Yeah, I thought he was. Oh, was he New Zealander? He was, New Zealander. He was surprisingly yeah. like. At first, I was like, okay, but like he really grew on me. Um, Bill Hader again was in a, 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 not a different movie, because it was this no, movie. No, but I but feel like he showed up, made a different movie, and then maybe they had to make the movie around. around yeah, but like, I, again, I liked him. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, you know what, to be honest, I did like the visualization of the set pieces, like the, the bigger ones, like the... the um, Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan was cool. I loved the fun house. I really loved Ben and Beverly's dual trapments mm-hmm. and the yeah, way that like sort that of too. shifted, like the visuals of that. I remember being like, whoa, like that's very, very cool. And I liked the cistern. I like sort of when cosmic eldritch horror kind of gets to the the center point, even if uh, I don't think what they did there was mm. appropriate. Um, I don't know, Jamie, what what did you, what else did you like about it? The first ringing thing that comes up in my brain, and I don't know that I left the movie thinking of it as much, but and I think I owe it to the performances of um, Bill Hader and uh, James Jay, Ransom. Yeah, James Ransom, uh, super who cool. did a wonderful job yeah. uh, as as adult Eddie. Yeah, there is, um, you know, and I don't know that there there is a hint that it is a uh, homosexuality in Bill Hader's character. I would almost just say that it's perhaps homosocial. Mm. Um, the relationship between uh, Eddie and Richie as adults is really lovely, mm. and it's very tender. And um, I think that both actors were really there for it, uh, just sort of having this uh, emotional dependence on each other, even though they spend literally their whole time arguing and jabbing at each other and, and making fun. Uh, they both did such a great job. And I, I so, I, I loved and believe. Uh, spoiler, Eddie doesn't make it. It's very sad. <laughs> and I, when it happened, I was like, no, Eddie! But... Uh, I, I appreciated the time they took for, you know, usually when someone dies in an action or horror movie, they're like, we gotta go. And they just kind of bail and they had to bail in this, 
but uh, they took the time to show how hard it is to perhaps leave the body of your friend. And as you know, they leave and they get out and they're all sort of like talking about how Eddie would have like, you know, reacted to certain things and they're all sort of mourning happily and Bill Hader is sobbing. Mm. And I thought that was beautiful and realistic and very touching and very earnest. And I loved it. I thought that was a wonderful performance on both actors parts. What about you, Shahir? Uh, actually, it would probably be the same thing, which is that, uh, but it may be framed slightly differently, which is that I, I actually liked the amount of restraint the film showed in certain moments, which is that I, I liked that we didn't see Pennywise as much this time around, and, and that we Pennywise was only kind of, he popped up sort of just at the right moments between character interactions. So, like, I, I kind of liked that it was more about things that they were dealing with as grown-ups then, and then Pennywise would kind of come in a little bit, whereas he, he didn't seem like the central focus of the movie. Oh, it, was, it was more about them as a group, which I, which I actually liked more. Uh, and, then, um, and then I liked, uh, yeah, Richie and Eddie's relationship, and I liked, because the thing that I was dreading the whole film was a point at which Richie would say, I'm gay. I was like, <laughs> uh, I just, I don't want to see that scene. Well, and I, I don't even know that he was. And, and I, whether or not he was in love with Eddie or whether or not he just, you know, Eddie was the person that he did love more than everybody else, it didn't seem to matter to me. I, I, I read it as him as him being gay. I, I agree that it can entirely not be. And I think that the, the moment at the end of the film where he's like, uh, scratching in R plus E at the uh, mm -hmm. at the uh, hitching post or whatever it is. I thought that was actually really like that was it showed her an amount of restraint that I didn't see with the rest of the film. Um, so I kind I kind of liked that. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and the, I mean yeah I I didn't enjoy my time. I see. It's, <laughs> oh, it's interesting no. the thing that you said you liked. I actually think the. Uh, 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 I thought there was, and I, I will have to do a time counter. Hopefully, someone on the internet did, so I don't have to do it. But the, a time count of like how much Pennywise is in this one versus how much time Pennywise is in the last one. Like, even though this movie wants you to have these main characters be like the center points, like the dialogue between them, even there's moments like you just described with with the death and sort of after the end and all that stuff and the carving. Uh, a lot of them actually just revolving around Bill Hader or Jessica Chastain. <laughs> um, you know, it wants you to be like these, like all this is an incredibly traumatic emotional thing. But the dialogue, the actual dialogue that the characters have between each other is real rough. And oh, so, yeah. and so I never really it gets better, I think, as the movie goes on. But and but because it, it was the first so act is clunky, and because it was so rough, I thought that like more focus was put on. And maybe I'm categorizing Pennywise more than just the clown, like the it character. I thought the it character was far more prevalent here than when they were kids. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I would felt like to me. You've seen the film, the other one, uh, more recently, Shear, and actually, Jamie, you have too. So maybe I'm wrong well, in that I, feeling. I, no, I I agree with you. I I think uh, I think it Pennywise shows up a lot more in this film. I think it is perhaps. Uh, different in an as uh, no i'm not saying the right sentence uh <laughs> pennywise is a big character in this film also shout out to bill skarsgård oh, for yeah. actually having a My scene goodness do yeah. i love him <laughs> no but i love i you know what i love there is i love having a scene with him without the it makeup and yeah. just seeing like the the like what i it... think he's still prosthetic out to look yeah, he a, is little a little bit, lumpy but... and older because yeah. he's quite a he's quite a felt he's, he's quite one a of the skarsgård yeah he's you know, 29 i think yeah and he's one of the you know the handsome skars skarsgård 
the Skarsgårds are all universally weird looking. But really? Yeah. Or he's my favorite Skarsgård. <laughs> he's your favorite sure. Skarsgård. My goodness. <laughs> well, there's only seventeen listeners, to choose listeners, from. Listeners, rate your favorite Skarsgård, please. One to forty-six. <laughs> so, have we kind of gone through our final? I book? think so. so, I okay, think so. Before we uh, wrap it out, then, then I'm curious. Now that we've, you know, it's it feels like it's been the the the, the last couple of years has been the renaissance of Stephen King mm-hmm. in film. I'm curious as to what your favorite Stephen King adaptations have been, or even just, you know, your, your favorite films that have been, you know, tangentially based on Stephen King works. Uh, you know, he is a prolific writer and a prolific uh, author of films that have come out. What's yours? For me, uh, I love Stand By Me. Stand By Me, I think, is my favorite uh, adaptation. I think, you know, like, it is basically the Losers Club, but taken out without any kind of mythology and is far more tonally kind of in line, you know, I think aligned with itself. But the actual, the film that I think is more interesting that I just, I need to revisit a little bit more carefully and it's made by a very problematic filmmaker uh, is Apt Pupil. Mm. Apt Pupil, I, I recall just being, I think a great example of what King is really fascinated with, which is how does evil permeate itself from one person to the next and and i think you know at pupil is a film that really gets to the heart of that if 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 this is all examples of what i'm really interested in with stephen king it's not uh it's not scary boogeyman or cosmological horror it's like the way evil kind of permeates people i think stand by me does a lot of what it does way better like you know uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character is essentially Henry Bowers in mm-hmm. in uh, in it but way more interesting and complex and 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 fascinating to actually watch and believable as well um and yeah I think Stand By Me whereas it I think is is an iconic story that everybody in <laughs> you know everybody we know knows it yeah Stand By Me sort of holds an equivalent relevant relevance in uh you know, but legitimately so like it's not it's, like well it's different it's yeah. not the same genre and so we see different things in it and yeah I think it, it holds a more contemporary yeah. hand. I'm excited to see what Mike Flanagan does with Dr. Sleep, which is the follow-up to uh, The Shining. Um, because he did, uh, uh, Mike Flanagan did The Haunting of Hill House, and he did um, Gerald's Game, which I thought was which really good. Haunting of the Netflix The one Netflix just, show, yeah. Ugh. You didn't like that? Oh, no. Well, so I didn't finish it. <laughs> Whoa. Which, you know, I, I hate when people are like, I didn't like it, but I only said 10 minutes. Yeah. But I'm doing that right now. Uh, yeah, I just didn't care for it. I thought it was, Ooh. I thought it was like. Whatever you think of it, uh, Mike Flanagan <laughs> is awesome, and I'm, okay. I'm very curious to see what he does with Dr. Sleep. Um, How about you? I think uh, The Shining. Yeah, straight up. That's it's probably uh, honorable mention. Children of the Corn, uh, only because I remember as a kid being more scared of the concept than actually seeing them. But like, I have a I have a weird pseudo relationship with Children of the Corn. Uh, also, honorable honorable mention. Uh, the Running Man. Yep, Richard Bachman. Yeah, um, I'm curious with uh, the Shining. The Shining is the one that Stephen uh, Stephen King himself has rejected outright. I know, and 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 he, you know, like famously redid the series uh, as a miniseries, and it was horrible. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like it, it, that because that's the one that uh, I think a lot of people point to as a as a good example of what maybe should have happened here, which was that uh, Kubrick kind of took a blowtorch 
to the book yeah. and just pulled out the elements that he thought was interesting. Hey, listen, sometimes uh, you have to uh, be able to kill your darlings and let other people take some stuff that you did that's great and possibly make it greater in a different medium. Uh, you know, and all artists, uh, myself included, uh, would uh, reject that probably outright because we think we are the alpha and omega of all things, but the truth is we are not. <laughs> and there'll always be someone that can take your amazing idea and make it better. And that's sad, but kind of neat. So I think it's neat. I think it's cool. What about you, Jamie? Um, well, you know, I have two. Uh, and I think that whereas your your <laughs> wheelhouse is distinctly not in the uh like uh bizarre monster world of Stephen King where the boogeyman is uh is real, I'm into that. Yeah. Uh so Pet Cemetery, the mm-hmm. original, not the one that just came out, uh, is is what one of my favorite scary movies mm. uh my brother and i would try to watch it like over and over again and we couldn't get past like the scene with zelda who was just a sick person for a really long time it right just was the sister right yeah, yeah yeah uh and john lithgow has this wonderful like up north accent and, yeah yeah uh, that's that's really <laughs> no, john is john lithgow he's it's not john lithgow in, no in the oh, original no, excuse me. john no, lithgow's in the new not, one yeah sorry it's uh the guy the, the guy yeah. who played herman munster yeah is, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. character uh, I, I love it when he says the ground's gone sour yeah oh <laughs> he's wonderful <laughs> again again very uh d- very uh native american i was gonna say wasn't that the yeah but but more than that, and that actually, could be very problematic now. You know, if I rewatched it right now, I might say, "Oh boy!" But uh, I thought that was a very powerfully frightening movie. Uh, and then to slightly contrast that, Misery mm, is mm, yeah. exceptional, yeah. book and film, yeah. wonderful. Uh, you know, and and quick and simple. You know, there are some there there are some monsters that you might not want to open but misery is fairly fast and just a wonderful psychological thriller again i don't mind stephen king writing about writers because he tends to he tends to not just be like i'm a writer and i can save the world it's often about writers being like ah fuck reviews (laughs) he has more humanism in his writer characters but i just that's a wonderful (laughs) book and it it, it's so it's so well done and so frightening for such real reasons he doesn't uh revel in writers saving the world but his writers still save the world they, well, they're the protagonists, but usually they're not saving the world. They're just escaping from. Their, uh, from I their think own. they well, they save the world from Pennywise. You know what movie I liked that I don't know that anyone ever talks about is fourteen oh eight. Yeah, another writer one. Uh, yeah, yeah, another writer. I, 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 I loved that. I yeah, was, I, that, was that, a lot that of gets fun. a little not bit a cosmic favorite. as well, right? Yes, but yeah. it's it's fun. I love you know he just sets the room on fire as how he gets out, and your yeah. room is roaring, <laughs> and he sits there and says, "Oh, shut the fuck up." <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, but see, I mean, this is the thing. I think Stephen King has actually, you know, he's been more important to cinema than most filmmakers have been in terms of the adaptation of his yeah. work. I think so, and and a genre that I think gets undercut a lot for mm. being, uh, seem, you know, people don't people seem to think that horror can be an empty genre. Well, I mean, and I, and I I I think that he proves the yeah. opposite that it's quite full and quite rich and well, full I, of full of stories and truth and. And, and and good things. But also, I think the thing that's interesting is that his films cross genres quite a bit, and like probably the one that we haven't mentioned that is often, you know, that probably I I could I think you could make an argument for being the best adaptation of his work is the Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and and like you know, it, it's completely not a horror film at all, uh, yeah. although it has horrific elements in it, uh, and has a lot of elements that you know. This, I guess this is the thing that I got excited about with Stephen King and revisiting the Losers Club this week that podcast is like seeing the connections between everything he writes. You know. Like the gray water in uh, in in it, and uh, in Shawshank Redemption, you know, like um, 
the character crawling through the sewers for like yes. miles and miles, yeah. you know, and like it's just seeing all these connections that work in his play. And it's, it's obviously because he's just so prolific and he's just yes. writing all the and time. And I think that, you know, everybody has uh, to use, I, I borrow this term from Matt all the time, wheelhouse. Mm. Uh, his wheelhouse is distinct of the mm. things that resonate with him. And yeah. because he writes so much, they obviously come up again, but they always work. Yeah. Uh, we talked briefly last night at like 2.30 in the morning about the idea of connecting and multiverse and uh, and and putting all your films together in one thing. Yeah. And actually, the podcast that you're referring to, the Losers Club, talks about this. Is they were annoyed <laughs> by the fact that like people are now trying to kind of interconnect all yeah. of the films. I, and I, it I, is a bit of a modern marketing thing, I think. Yeah, because on by Marvel, sure. but. I don't. I don't know. I, Something I don't feel about like how he, Stephen King does it is yeah. is more referential, so I don't mind it. it it's all. It's 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 referencing the fact that he's just the single author of a lot of this work. Yes. And I think there's something about the Dark Tower, this phallic song, where it's sort of out of his body, and he's like he's talking about it as though he's channeling these stories. It's not that he is the creator and like having to like you know wrangle them. It's that they're coming to him, and he's just got to find a way to get it out. You know what you else know? I've heard about Stephen King? Super nice guy. Yeah. 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 Well, very political. And uh, also, uh, he's still got that thing where you can option his short stories for a dollar. Which is oh, nice. yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. He's still got a list of them. That apparently, you can just write in and, and, and take them. And take them. Hey. Well, that's a very. Thank you, Stephen King, uh, for your work. This has been the only podcast about It Chapter 2, the fantabulous memification of Pennywise the Clown. Uh, <laughs> Jamie, when you are not watching a Birds of Prey poorly cut trailer right before a film that lasted until 2 a.m., where can folks find That's you? That's all I'm ever doing. Mm -hmm. um, you can find me on Instagram at jimjam underscore Walsh uh, for... Uh, some fun artwork. It's fashion week right now, so you'll be seeing a lot of sort of fashion-y sketches, but there'll definitely be a Pennywise coming up, I think, soon, because it can't get out of my head. I hope in a, in uh, a, in a, in a designer gown. Yes, probably. I really want to see Sexy Pennywise. Uh, you know <laughs> what? We're doing it. Uh, doing Sexy Pennywise? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to draw Sexy Pennywise. Uh, follow me. I'm desperate. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I think I'm on Twitter at the same. I have like 40 followers. It's not very productive. Well, one day. We will <laughs> climb you up. Thank you so much for coming on the show, by oh, the way. Oh, thanks for having me uh shahir when you are not when you're not not down with the clown <laughs> where can folks find you you can find me dressing in clown cosplay at my website at www.shahirdad.com i should do sexy i should do i sexy wish that yeah, was if true. i draw it you have to be it yeah <laughs> it's, I, it's like bugs bunny when bugs bunny would get all sexy you know like that except except in me it's like things are like not as sexy. Uh, Matt, when you... <laughs> okay, Garth. <laughs> uh, Matt, when you are... Uh, what are you doing? You're, uh, you're enjoying things that you appreciate aren't good. <laughs> when you are enjoying things that you appreciate aren't good, where can people find you? You can find me sticking wholeheartedly to that exact brand <laughs> at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on uh, Instagram and P-S-N and Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please go check out our good works going on over at Extra Credits. We uh, actually, we're doing, uh, for mythology, uh, we're doing uh, the Old Testament next, yeah. which is, uh, is, is very, very fun. I'm, I'm looking forward. 
forward to uh, to putting that out. And also, we have a couple episodes. We're doing the Inca Empire as well, which is very good in extra history. Um, and if you want to, I, it's one something I didn't uh, bring up in this episode. There were three very big cameos in uh, uh, It Chapter 2. Okay. Uh, so, listeners, if you could tell us what they are, we will give you the fantastic prize of being my favorite listener for the week. Uh, and until whoa. he reads the next Until I read the next one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. These are three film-related cameos. We mentioned one on this uh, I think we might have mentioned two, but I don't want to ruin it. Uh, yeah, we did mention the second so one, but the, yeah. we were talking about that person well, a lot yeah, anyway. No fucking idea but there were the three is, so. three big cameos well i guess big if you know films uh <laughs> uh in this film biggish uh so please email us in at only movie podcast or tweet us uh those cameos at uh, at only movie pod on twitter uh we'll hear you you wait you'll hear us someone will hear everything that's going on next week bye everyone bye bye, bye. bye.